Well, as Carrie indicated, it is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is when we commemorate and we remember the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It was the beginning of Holy Week, which of course culminates with Easter. Um, all four of the Gospels contain accounts of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. So we know this is a very significant, a very important event. And this took place, of course, while thousands and thousands of Jewish people were flowing into Jerusalem uh, because of the Passover. So in John's recounting of the story, in John chapter 12, he describes it this way. He said, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna. Well, what are, why palm branches? Well, palm branches represented Jewish nationalism. Uh, you see this through the history of the Jewish people. When the temple was rebuilt in Maccabean times, when uh, Levi was a ruler, uh, they both uh, had palm branches as symbolic of their ruling power and of great celebration. Um, when the Jews fought the Romans in a couple of wars, the Jewish rebels would print coins, and on those coins were palm branches because palm branches represent the hopes of the Jewish people. And they were shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna is from the Aramaic. It means save us now. And it would often be shouted to kings who were returning uh, from the battlefield. Uh, we see it in Psalm 118, where it's followed by exactly what the crowd in Jerusalem then shouted to Jesus when uh, they said, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the Jerusalem crowd went even the next step. They went even further and they said, blessed is the king of Israel. So they were uh, sort of saying, this is our national liberator. He's our king. He's coming in. He's going to liberate us. John continues and says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as was written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Well, have you ever wondered why in the life of Jesus, all of a sudden, you've got this raucous, this incredible uh, greeting that he's receiving as he's coming into town? Why now? Well, John, I think, kind of anticipates that question, and he answers it in verses 17 and 18, when he says, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So in other words, a short time before this, just two miles from Jerusalem in a town of Bethany, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And that energized the crowd. That got everybody excited because they figured, oh, wait, uh, if he can do that, then he can solve all of our problems and he can... Um, uh, 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 rescue us from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so the people who were greeting Jesus that day as he came into town, they had an agenda for Jesus. They had their own agenda. Clearly, he was the Messiah. Look what he did in raising Lazarus from the dead. And he was even making an explicit messianic claim as he was coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Because hundreds of years before this, in Zechariah 9, verse 9, it was foretold that the Messiah would enter on a donkey. 
But the crowd's agenda for Jesus was to be a political liberator, to be a military liberator, to rescue them from this this yoke of oppression that the Roman Empire was on the necks of the Jewish people. So they gave Jesus a reception like they would give a military commander who had just won a big victory on the battlefield. As one scholar put it, this scene was a wash in Jewish political fervor. But notice something. Jesus was not riding into Jerusalem like a military conqueror would. He wasn't on a white stallion. He wasn't uh, in a chariot coming into the town. That should have been a clue that Jesus' agenda was different than the people's agenda. He was coming in humbly on a donkey. He wasn't going to overthrow the government. He wasn't going to start a military insurrection. He was going to usher in the greatest victory of all for everyone on planet Earth. He summarized his agenda in Mark 10, verse 45, when he said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus' agenda was to liberate us from the bondage of sin and the bondage of the oppression of sin by going to the cross and paying the penalty that we deserved for the sins that we've committed so that he could offer forgiveness and eternal life and and reconciliation with God as a free gift of his grace. As John the Baptist declared in John 1, verse 29, as Jesus was approaching, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, Jesus personified the sacrificial lamb of Passover. But here's the bottom line. The people had one agenda for Jesus, but Jesus had a far different agenda. And you know what? Sometimes... That's true of you, and sometimes it's true of me. We have our agendas for what we want God to do in our life, but God might have a different agenda that we need to follow. Now, I'm sure Jesus' mother, Mary, had an agenda for her life all figured out. She was going to marry Joseph. They were going to have a thriving construction business. They were going to raise a family, and yet God intervened with a far different agenda. And because of her great faith, she adopted God's agenda for her life to the benefit of all humankind, but knowing it would ultimately result in her witnessing the death of her son on the cross. But you know what? If we really believe what we claim to believe about God, if we really believe he is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-omnibenevolent, all-loving, if we really believe those things about him, then of course we would want to follow his agenda for our lives, wouldn't we? Of course, he's got our best interests at heart. He sees the future. He understands the context of the times in ways that we don't. Of course we would want to adopt his agenda. Yes, it might be uh, difficult. It might be strenuous. It might require a bolstering of our faith. But God's agenda is always the best agenda. I remember for the first 30 years of my life, I had my agenda for life all figured out. I mean, my goal in life, my agenda was to become the top editor of the Chicago Tribune newspaper. That was my goal. 
And I, was, I had printer's ink running through my blood. I loved newspapers. I loved the Chicago Tribune. And I worked as a legal editor of the, of the newspaper in the newsroom there. And, and the guy next to me, I had, I was the, we had the religion editor over here and, and the transportation editor, and, and I was the legal editor. And then next to me was the deputy political editor. And uh, he later went into politics himself and moved from a desk next to me to an office in the White House. Uh, his name was David Axelrod, and he became the top advisor to President Obama. And so we, re- we reconnected recently, and we were chatting, and he said, you know, Lee, all of us in the newsroom thought you were going to be the next editor. You were going to be the guy. You were going to be our boss. You were going to run the newspaper. We all thought that. And I said, well, you know what? God had a different agenda. Proverbs 16, verse 9 puts it this way. We can make our plans, sure, but the Lord determines our steps. The Lord determines our steps. You know, we're getting ready in June to have our big baptism service here at Woodlands Church. And when, we, uh, when we're baptized, um, we like to stress the fact that it's not the water that saves us, but that baptism is simply a public profession of an internal transaction that has taken place where God has redeemed us through Jesus Christ and reconciled us through the sacrifice of Christ. So we emphasize that, but if you read ahead in the New Testament a bit, the 1 Peter 3, verse 20, it's kind of got a, a mysterious comment about baptism. It says that baptism involves, quote, the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. The pledge of a clear conscience for God. And you think, well, what does that mean? It means this. As scholars have pointed out, the, the Greek word there uh, that's used for pledge Uh, reflects a practice in first century um, Roman Empire um, business circles. So in other words, in the business circles, in the first century, in the Roman Empire, if you want to reach a contract, an agreement with someone, okay, you negotiate a contract, you agree to it all, at the end of that process, you would make a pledge. And the pledge would be that you are going to fulfill this agreement. And when you made that pledge, that was what made that agreement legally binding. And so our baptism is not just a uh, reflection of an internal transaction, but it's also a pledge. It's a pledge of loyalty to King Jesus and to his kingdom. It is a pledge that we will follow the way of the Lord. It is a pledge that we make that we will adopt God's agenda for our lives. It's like my wedding ring. You know, does my wedding ring reflect a moment in time at a ceremony when uh, we outwardly professed an internal love that we had for each other and at that moment in the ceremony of this wedding we were united as man and wife yeah it represents that but it represents more than that it represents a pledge an ongoing pledge that i will cherish and love and and care for and serve my spouse the rest of my days and so baptism if you've been baptized you're making a pledge and your pledge is to live out God's agenda for your life. Which, of course, raises the question, okay, well, how do I know what God's agenda is for my life, right? How do I figure this out? 
Is there only one specific plan that God has for me and I need to discover it and I need to fulfill it? And if I fail to do that, I am doomed the rest of my days to miss out on the very best that God had for me. Is that the situation? Well, my friend Johnny Moore uh, wrote um, a book. He was a chaplain at Liberty University, which is the largest Christian university, uh, for a dozen years. And if you're the chaplain at a major Christian school, you're constantly getting inundated with Christian students who are coming up to you and saying, how do I know what's God's will for my life? What's God's agenda for my life? And, And he would counsel with all these students. And finally, he wrote a book. And it's a real practical book. It's called, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life? And it's kind of a straightforward title. And um, he just has some great insights from his years of working with these students. And I'm drawing on some of those insights uh, for this message. So insight number one is this. Don't fall for the phony distinction between the sacred and the secular. That's a phony distinction because For Christians, all of life is holy. Everything we do in life should accrue to the glory of God. Whatever God assigns us to do, he will use as part of his mission to reach and change the world. And so, you know, God's agenda for you might be for you to quit your job and for you to move to Mozambique and to be a missionary. Or God's agenda for you might be to work as an engineer at Exxon right here in the woodlands and to uh, support God's work financially through your giving and to be salt and light um, to your colleagues and to your neighbors here in the woodlands and maybe to serve at this church in the student ministry where you mentor future champions for Jesus Christ. One calling is not holier than the other calling. Uh, you're not holier because you stand in a pulpit or you you preach um, at a church service necessarily than someone who is a Christian who manages a restaurant and seeks to be salt and light to his customers and to his employees at the restaurant. There's a phony distinction between the secular and and the sacred. It's all sacred. We all have a calling. We're all ambassadors for Christ. It's like the story that John Newton tells. John Newton, of course, was the slave trader that um, uh, later became a follower of Christ and and wrote the song Amazing Grace, became a great Christian leader. And he said, you know, imagine in heaven. One day, God has two assignments that he needs to give out. And he happens to have two angels right there waiting for their assignments. One of the assignments that God's going to give out that day is to rule in opulence over the most beautiful, wealthiest city on planet Earth. The other assignment he's going to give out that day is to sweep the sewers and the gutters and the alleys of the dirtiest city, the dirtiest slum on the planet. And John Newton said to those two angels... It would be completely indifferent. They wouldn't care one way or the other which one got which assignment. Wouldn't matter to them. Why? Because what is important is not what God has us doing. What is important is that we're doing what God wants us to do. God, if you, whatever you want me to do, that's 
what I want to do. We're all, if we're followers of Jesus, in full-time ministry. And we all ought to be seeking to know, what does God want me to do? Because whatever it is, that's what I want to spend my life doing. So that takes us back to the big question. Okay, well, how do you figure out what God wants us to do? And that brings us to insight number two, which is this. To find out what God wants you to do, find out who God made you to be. What did he make you to be? Who did he make you to be? That will let you learn what God wants you to do with your life. Because generally, God's agenda for our life will be the fulfillment of how he designed you as a unique individual in the first place. In fact, my Johnny Moore gives a, gives a great illustration of this. He said, think of the Apostle Paul. You know, we like to say in the church, oh, of all people, the Apostle Paul was the least likeliest person ever to become the great missionary to the Roman Empire. Paul hated Christians. He was persecuting Christians. He was murdering Christians. And yet, he becomes in the most unlikely circumstance the great missionary of the gospel. And Johnny said, you know what? That's not totally accurate. He said, think about it. Paul, before he became a follower of Christ, Paul, then known as Saul of Tarsus, had a zealous personality. He was enthusiastic. He was zealous. And he was deeply devoted to following God. He was also highly educated. He knew and was well acquainted with the culture of his day. He was one of the most educated people of his generation. He was a strongly committed Jew. Philippians said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And because he was a Roman citizen, he had unique protection and unique access. And so, all things considered, he was uniquely wired up and situated to become the great missionary to the Roman Empire. Because once Christ redeemed him and changed his, uh, his, his heart now his zeal became for Christ. And all of these other qualities that I've described of him are exactly what he needed to become the great missionary that he became. And guess what? God has wired you up in such a way that you will be the perfect individual to fulfill whatever agenda God has in store for you. So how has he wired you up? Well, there's a friend of mine from when I used to be on staff at Saddleback Church out in California named Eric Reese. And Eric has popularized an acronym to help us understand how has God wired us up to serve God and to serve other people. It's based on the word SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E, and each letter stands for a different aspect of who God made us to be. The S in SHAPE stands for spiritual gifts. The Bible says that when we come to faith in Christ, Every single one of us has given at least one, maybe two, maybe three, but at least one spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a divine enablement to do something in service to God and his kingdom. 
It could be a gift of evangelism, of sharing your faith. Could be a gift of teaching. Could be a gift of leadership. Could be a gift of uh, helping. Could be a gift of administration. Um, uh, could be a gift of wisdom and discernment. There's a variety of spiritual gifts that are described in Scripture. So what is the spiritual gift that God has given you? The H in shape comes from the word heart. What activities in life make your heart beat fast? What passions, in other words, has God put in your life? The A in shape stands for abilities. What talents do you have? You know, I'm thinking of, of, of Kerry Shook. You know, he has no musical talents whatsoever, and yet we're led in worship by two of his kids. Um, isn't that awesome? God's given them talent to serve us leading worship, talent that his mom and his dad didn't have. But each of us have talents that God or abilities that God has given us. And then the P in shape is for personality. Are you extroverted or introverted? Do you make decisions based on your, your heart or your head? What, what are your personality types? And then the E stands for experiences. What have you gone through in life that might especially prepare you for a certain calling that God might have on you? I have another friend named uh, Bill Butterworth, and Bill is a, um, he actually won the award for being the best public speaker in America. Um, and he speaks to corporations, and he speaks to professional sports teams. He speaks because he's a strong believer in Christ. He, he speaks at churches around the country. He's spoken here at Woodlands Church. And just moved to the Woodlands not long ago so we could be close to each other, so we have a long friendship. And um, so um, one day we were having uh, a meal, and, and he said, you know, I was speaking recently at a church, and I was teaching the word of God. And my wife Kathy was sitting in the front row. And in the middle of that talk, I wanted to freeze everything. Just freeze this moment. Stop. And then say to Kathy, Kathy, do you feel it? Do you feel what's happening at this very moment? This is why I do what I do. This moment, can you feel it? What was he saying? He was saying, I was made to do this. God shaped me and wired me up to do this. And this moment is just a reflection. I can feel it. I was made for this. This is what God created me to do. Have you ever felt that? You ever felt like this is what I was made to do? You're a teacher teaching in school to some children, and you want to praise it and say, this is why I love doing this. I was made to teach little kids. Whatever it is, have you ever felt that? It's a good sign you're on the right track in terms of discovering God's agenda for your life. My friend Johnny Moore said this, the will of God is more about who you are than where you are or what you do. You don't find it. You become it. You become it. And so that leads us to the third insight about discovering God's agenda for our life, which is this. Sometimes when we're waiting on God, he's actually waiting on us. In other words, yeah, we're waiting for God to send down a big neon sign to tell us what his agenda is for our life. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. But God is waiting on us 
to take the initiative. In other words, we should go through all of the exercises of trying to discern as best we can what is God's agenda for our life. And so we analyze our shape, as I talked about, to try to determine how has God uniquely created us. And then we seek guidance in prayer. We say, God, what is your agenda for my life? Reveal it to me. I want to follow you. I want to be what you want me to be. So we pray about it. And then we read passages of Scripture. And, and I don't know if you've had that experience where sometimes you're reading something and, and, and it just pops out at you like God wrote that just for you. And sometimes he guides us into the role he wants us to have in life through what scripture tells us. And then there are the promptings of the Holy Spirit, these mysterious proddings of, of, of God's spirit in our life that propel us down the road of following him. And then we look at the pain that we've gone through in life, the struggles, the tribulations, the difficult circumstances, and how those might shape us in a way to serve others through what we've learned through the pain in our lives. And we consult with people. What, what do you see in me? Um, what do you, where do you think um, uh, God might be leading me to serve and to, to be part of his unfolding redemptive drama on planet Earth? We get input from people who know us well. The Holy Spirit is consistent. He's not going to tell you one thing and tell your spouse something else. I just met between services with a, a couple from this church. He's been a petroleum engineer for 27 years. Now she's an accountant, and God is leading them, they believe, out of that into uh, work full-time in uh, Christian counseling. And um, one of the first things I asked them is, are both of you in agreement? Are both of you feeling this? Because the Holy Spirit is consistent. And yes, they both are feeling it at the same time. That's a, that's a sign as we get input from people that we're on the right track. So we go through these kind of, um, this process to try to determine what is God's agenda for my life. And sometimes at the end of this process, there is a very concrete, very specific, very clear calling from God on what he wants you to do. His agenda is crystal clear. It's like this sign drops down from heaven, a neon sign flashing, this is it, this is it, this is it. I mean, that's what happened to me in my life. Not literally a neon sign, but the, a, a great clarity that God wanted me to leave behind my training and experience in journalism and, and, and to take a 180 degree turn and to, to um, be an evangelist. Um, and somebody asked me once, gosh, was that a hard decision? And I said it was one of the easiest decisions I ever made. Why was it easy? Because God was so clear. And I knew I would be disobedient if I didn't take the step that I believe God was leading me to take. Um, I remember when uh, there was a guy named Don Cousins. He was the pastor at the church I attended uh, when I was in Chicago at the time. And... Um, um, he's the one that offered me the job to leave journalism and to come work at the church. But he said, yeah, the bad news is it's a 60% pay cut. And I said, okay, great, let's do it. And um, a few months later, we were chatting, and he said, you know, we were a little surprised that uh, when we offered you this paltry salary that you said yes. And I looked at him, I said, Don, I would have done it for nothing. I would have done it for nothing. I would have figured out a way to support my family. It didn't matter. I would have done it for nothing. Why? Because God had been so clear to me that this is what he wanted me to do. I pictured what would happen 
And this is a good test for you if you feel like God's leading you in a direction. I, I imagine, what would it be like at the end of my life when I was laying my head on the pillow for the last time? How would I feel if I looked back on my life and I thought, oh, God was leading me to leave it all behind and to go on an uncertain path, and I said no. What did I miss by saying no to God? And I imagine what it would be like putting my head on the pillow, and I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So sometimes it's so clear to you that it, you know it would just be disobedience if you didn't take that step that God wanted you to take. But let me emphasize this. A lot of the time, it's not like that. A lot of the time, it's more ambiguous than that. You know, for instance, and my wife Leslie, who is an ever-devoted follower of Christ, she never had a defining moment like I did, a sign that came down from heaven. It's always been a little more ambiguous to her what God's agenda was for her life. So what do you do then? What do you do then if you're not sure? Well, some people, what they do is they wait. They wait for the neon sign to come down. They wait for that defining moment. They'll make it absolutely, undeniably clear what God wants us to do. And in the meantime, they're stalled out. They're inactive. They're stagnant. They're on the sidelines. They're out of the game. They're too afraid of making a mistake by taking a wrong step and missing God's very best for their life that they're frozen into inactivity. Friends, that can't be good for the kingdom. You see, when God is not specifically and clearly unveiling his agenda for you, could it be, could it be that he's telling you he wants you to use the brain that he has given you to decide between the various options that he has laid open to you. Maybe God is allowing you the adventure of sorting it all out under his watchful eye. And when you do, when you take a step of faith and say, this is the direction I believe I ought to go, he will, by his Holy Spirit, enable you to flourish and succeed beyond what you ever anticipated. And so if you're not sure 100% what God wants you to do, you're not sure, does he want me to lead a small group as part of this church, or does he want me to serve in the children's ministry? You know, those are both great options. They're both good options. And guess what? God is going to bless you regardless of which one that you choose. He's letting you decide. So decide. Experiment. Serve in different areas. Find out where God is, uses you the most, where you're most fruitful, uh, where you feel the most joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in serving. In other words, here's the deal. Go until God tells you to stop. That ought to be our attitude. Let's go until God tells us to stop. And so that's what Leslie did. She engaged in a variety of uh, serving opportunities in the church. She, she served as a one-on-one -on -one mentor to young Christian women, she served on the leadership team of women's ministries. She led a small group of um, spiritually curious people in our neighborhood. And each experience uh, led to joy and it led to fulfillment. And God blessed her each time she stepped out in faith and said, I'm going to go until God tells me to stop. I'm going to serve. And God blessed her. 
because she didn't stay on the sidelines. She moved ahead. In a sense, God was saying, Leslie, I'm going to let you choose. These are all good things. I'm going to let you have the adventure deciding for yourself. And then when you decide and you move out in faith down that path, I'm going to get behind you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to draw great things from your service. So here's a couple of concrete steps that you can take today in the next few hours. If you're uncertain, what is God's exact agenda for my life? As I said, go until God tells you to stop. So here's two opportunities. Number one, at one o'clock this afternoon, like right after this service, we're gonna have our membership class here at the church. And if you have never gone through this class, I encourage you today, take a step. Go through the class, because not only will you learn about you know, the core beliefs of the church, but you're also gonna discover how you might fit in to God's bigger purpose in the body of Christ. It's a great step to diagnose what might be God's agenda for me. Or if you've already gone through the membership class from one to three this afternoon, right after this service, we also have the life class. And the life class, you're gonna not just learn three habits that are essential for growing spiritually, but you're also gonna learn how we can serve God and serve others through life groups. It's free lunch, there's free childcare that's provided, but these classes are perfect if you wanna kinda of get off the sidelines and begin exploring, God, what's the agenda you have for my life? I'm gonna move ahead, I'm gonna move forward, God, until you tell me to stop. But be assured of this, God is not playing hide and seek from you. He's not making a game of this. He loves you. God wants to maximize your impact in the kingdom and in the world. He wants you to experience the adventure that comes when we follow his roadmap for our lives. It's like the story of the little boy who's in a busy city on a busy road, and he's, he's sitting on a bench at the, at the side of the road. And cars are all coming past, and he's just sitting there. And a man comes up, and he says, what are you doing? And the boy says, well, I'm, I'm waiting for the bus. And the man says, well, wait a minute, son. You, know, you got to understand something. Uh, the bus is going to drive past here, sure, but it only stops at the bus stops. And the bus stop is a half a mile up the road. So if you want to catch the bus, I would suggest you hike down the road half a mile to the bus stop because that is the only place the bus is going to stop. And the little boy looked at the man and he said, well, I'm just going to stay here. A few minutes later, a bus comes rumbling down the road and stops right in front of the little boy. And the doors open up. And the little boy starts climbing up the stairs to get on the bus. And the man is flabbergasted. He said, well, I can't believe, I can't believe this. Why did the bus stop for you here? And as the little boy got in the bus, he called out over his shoulder. He said, well, you know the bus driver? He's my father. <laughs> and guess what? Your heavenly father will meet you where you are at. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, wherever you're at in deciding what does God want me to do with my life, wherever you're at, God will stop where you are and he will open the door and he will say, climb on board. Let me take you on the greatest adventure of your life as you fulfill 
my agenda as you follow my roadmap for what you should do. And it all begins with a simple prayer where we say, Father, show me your agenda for my life. So let's pray. Father, that is our prayer right now, that simple prayer. For every person here, I see so many different faces And there's probably a different agenda for every individual in this room. So, Father, we ask you, on behalf of each individual here, what is your agenda for our life? Reveal it, we pray. And if it's for us to decide under your watchful guidance, give us the courage to move ahead until you tell us to stop. Thank you for loving us so much that you allow us the joy of serving your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.